0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME Curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. All right, so we'll get started here. So just as we start out, right, we talk about reversal versus replacement strategies. And so we know that with the use of 10A, direct 10A inhibitors, right, one of the beautiful things about 10A inhibitors compared to warfarin is there's less bleeding. But we all know that the bleeding, even though it's less, and intracranial hemorrhage especially is less, the number's not zero. And so there are still going to be events. And with the fact that there's about 8 million people in the United States alone getting oral 10A inhibitors, uh, there's, there's going to be a, a number of these bleeding events that happen. And so what do we do? How do we treat these? So one approach is reversal. And that's where indexinat alpha comes in. As most of us know, it's basically a decoy protein. It's a modified factor 10a molecule. It's not enzymatically active. It can't convert prothrombin into thrombin, but it can kind of act as a sponge and kind of gobble up the factor 10a that's in the circulation, and bind it to it. Um, it also does not inter- it does not in- in- insert itself into the prothrombinase complex. Another approach that people have decided to take is what about just replacement? And what if we just give these, in you know, a four-factor PCC? Uh, in the United States, that's usually concentra. I think in Canada, you guys have about three. I think there's about four or five of them in Europe. Um, but there's a number of them that are out there. And basically, these are inactivated clotting factors 2, 7, 9, and 10. This is the approach that's really... Um, that we want to use for warfarin reversal, obviously. Uh, for, and, but do we, you know, what is the role of it here in the area of uh, factor 10a inhibitor reversal? And so let's look at like, the clinical evidence that exists, as well as to then transition into real-world data. Most of us are familiar with these data. This is Deb Siegel's paper in New England Journal of Medicine, where pap- patients got an uh, in it or placebo uh, in a prospective manner. Placebo is kind of what's shown here in the black. And so if, you, if they got the Ebola's dose of indexa, you can see, bam, right, the anti 10 levels uh, go down immediately. Um, and they stay down for the two-hour infusion. And then over the next two hours after you stop the infusion, it doesn't matter if it's rivaroxaban or pixaban, they slowly make themselves back up. Now, as we go back up, there's been a number of people have looked at these graphs and said, well, I'm concerned about this go-back-up part. Right, you have to remember it's not going back up to baseline. These numbers still here end up being a roughly about forty percent reduction from, from the peak. But also remember, I think what's more important is the fact that if you look at the purpose of inhibiting 10A is to stop thrombin. Now we can debate not how much what thrombin generation means, but really what you can see here then once again in the orange. I think that's orange. I'm a man. I've got like four colors in my wheel, Um, right? But you can see here, right, the thrombin generation definitely goes up. And after you stop the infusion rate, right, you basically have done enough to kickstart the thrombin again, right? That does not sail back down. And so the thrombin generation is basically maintained even after the infusion is stopped. That leads us to more clinical evidence of the NEXA4, once again, a study most of us are familiar with. And so besides just looking at reversal of anti-10A, which it did with 93 and 94% reductions for apixaban and rivaroxaban, Respectively, there was also. They also looked at hemostatic efficacy, and they looked at hemostatic efficacy in 12 hours. Um, I think that's important as we look at some of the data here in a minute. Uh, often in other studies, this time has been stretched out, and so once you know the hemostatic efficacy, and this is actually from the final report that was just uh, published full in print just this last week, uh, and you can see basically the hemostatic efficacy at 80%. And it really, is, it was irrespective of what drug they got. It was irrespective of where they bled, whether it be GI or intracranial. And it was irrespective of whether you got low or high doses of indexinate. And so, you know, while the low dose is used in about 80% of patients. So very consistent uh, hemostatic efficacy there. All right, well, what do we know about four-factor PCCs, right? We've got the clinical data or these prospective randomized, not randomized, excuse me, prospective trials So here's a retrospective review, uh, probably the largest one. There's many of these out there. There's a stack of literature like this. But this is probably the largest one that I've seen. Um, This is actually published in circulation. So this is looking at intracranial hemorrhage. And they got basically different types. Whoops, sorry, back up. They got different types of four-factor PCC. um, And what they found was a, a hemostatic efficacy that ran right around 80%. So that's pretty similar. Um, but once again, there's some limitations to these data. This is the problem with this retrospective data is you don't know when the first scans are done. Since it's not prospectively evaluated, trying to figure out what hemo, and, and I think, you know, uh, we're going to talk more about this later, but trying to figure out what hemostatic efficacy is retrospectively is extremely challenging, right? Because you don't know what's happened even before the first scan was done. Okay, So they didn't have that. There are certain types of ICH. And another big thing is the time from last dose is not reported. And it's not reported in most of these studies because we have to ask ourselves, right, so when did they get the last dose? Is there any actually 10A activity in there to be reversed? Um, and we don't know that information from this. All right, well, what about, are there prospective studies? And there are three that I'm aware of, uh, these prospective studies, looking at a four-factor PCC and its hemostatic efficacy. But realize all these, they're not looking at hemostatic efficacy at 12 hours. They're stretching it out to 24. So this is twice the time frame. And so what you can see, though, is hemostatic efficacy here in the Majid trial, right? It's about... You know, the average time for last dose is known, so that's good data, right, about 12 hours. It's actually very similar to what was seen in an EXA-4. An EXA-4 is about 11 and a half hours from last dose, with a hemostatic efficacy of about 70%. Um, and then, of course, then when you go to Sam Chauvin, and but a mortality rate of 32%, which I think is pretty high in these types of studies. You know, here's another one. Now, this study here has 85% hemostatic efficacy. Well, that's really good. But Look at the time from last dose. The average time from last dose was 18 hours. That's the average. That means that half of them, right, had time beyond that. And so how much anticoagulant is really being reversed in that setting? I don't think we know the answer to that with these studies. And then finally, another one. So time from last dose is good. Efficacy was 70%, 70%, but realize they had almost 20% of patients who had basically what we would consider sub-therapeutic. I don't like therapeutic for 10As, but it, well, let's just call it low levels of the factor 10A inhibitor, right? So is that number 53% or is that number 70%? Because if, you don't have any, if you're not reversing anything, then you know, that, that's not really contributing to your efficacy. And we do have some head-to-head data. Once again, these are small. These are basically kind of almost like case series per se. Uh, so the head-to-head data here we can see once again... Uh, thromb- thrombotic efficacy, or excuse me, hemostatic efficacy at 24 hours. And you can see in the first study here, you can see that the efficacy, you know, 90% basically versus 60. We don't know if that's different, okay? And then finally, you know, we have this one over here, very similar, very similar. Mortality, no different. And these papers come to the conclusion, oh, it doesn't really matter what you do. But realize that none of these papers, you know, these papers rarely en- enroll over 100 patients, okay? So there's very limited data, So they're larger databases. This is So you never want to be second author on a paper, I think, right? Because on all the slides, it always just shows the first author. Craig Coleman will always be. I'm the second author. No one ever knows. No one ever cares. I'm just kidding. Uh, So basically what we did, though, is we collected data from 45 hospitals in the U.S. and said, okay, what are you guys doing for reverse, right? Now, there is no comparative statistics here. All right. Disclaimer, because we did not collect a bunch of data, uh, a lot of the baseline data and we did not basically. So we didn't. There was no way to adjust for differences. All right. Um, but what you do, what we did find is that when we look you know, across the different agents here that get used options, if you look at index and four factor PCC, the mortality rate for intracranial hemorrhage is one third and then the mortality rate actually for GI bleeds is about one-fourth of that. So index of patients consistently had lower mortality. And then finally, this is the largest, at least to my knowledge, the largest database ever collected. I was able to present this data at the ISTH meeting this past year. 184 hospitals, 2, 000, over 2,800 patients. And these are patients with uh, a pig, you know, doac-induced bleed as well as uh, anoxaparin bleeding. And basically, what we saw, so these are oh, these all the things that went into the log- uh, logistic regression analysis. And so, after all that, basically, the use of indexin in alpha was associated with a 31 statistically significant percent reduction in the odds of mort- in hospital mortality. Okay? Um, other things that were infected in mortality as well, such as, you, as things you'd expect ICH bleedings versus GI bleeds and things like that. But using indexes significantly reduced mortality. And this is just a different slice of that data looking specifically uh, at the ICH and GI bleeding. Uh, And basically, once again, about a 33%, very similar, statistically significant. And what you see is a very consistent impact of the event rates. That it doesn't mean the benefit's not just in the ICH patients, the benefit seems to be there in the GI patients as well.